Justin, welcome to Mayday and our very special interview. We are honored to have with us Miss Ever Carradine, who you know as Naomi Putnam from The Handmaid's Tale. Miss Carradine, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm fantastic, and thank you for taking the time to interview with us. And uh, Of course. I'm so happy to talk to you. Uh, it's fantastic. You are a, uh, for those that listen to our podcast, you are a... Um, an interesting character for us, as you know, that most people find your find Miss Putnam to be just a, uh, hilarious, hilarious, no, and <laughs> a little bit a little brittle. A little, no, yeah, yeah, I would say. Brittle? So mm-hmm. you know, and I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you this in advance because people that listen to us know that I like to do nicknames for random things. Not everybody, but some characters get them, some don't. Um, Does Naomi one? She has one, um, and for no reason whatsoever, other than I think she carries herself this way. Um, I call her Lady Putnam. Because she Lady she, Putnam? Yes, I call her Lady Putnam and that she represents herself being very haughty and very like above everyone else and just seems like she should be called Lady Putnam. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah. Totally. So uh there will be a question here as to that. Uh someone wanted to know your opinion on that, but we'll get to that in a minute. So first of all, tell us about how you got involved with portraying Naomi Putnam and how that all came together for you. Um, A few years ago, I actually did a pilot with Bruce Miller, so that's how we first met Bruce Miller, the creator of The Handmaid's Tale, and that pilot didn't get picked up, and I guess maybe a year after that, I was sent the script for Handmaid's Tale in an audition to come in and read for Rita, Um, not Naomi, and I was so excited, and I went in and read and saw Bruce and then did something I never really do, which is kind of wrote him a long, passionate letter about how I would love to be a part of the show and play Rita and blah, blah, blah. And then I didn't get it, and I wait, I was devastated, and I wait, I think like three months later, I got a call to come in and read for Naomi. And the rest is history? As and the rest is history. Yeah, because I think what they did is I think they made a pilot, even though they knew the show was getting picked up, and then I think they took a little break. Ah. And then when I went to the show, because Naomi was introduced in episode two, Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. when I went to work, they were all just kind of getting back to work. Gotcha. Yeah. That's very interesting. And that was it. The rest is history. That's awesome. Yeah, I was sent an audition for Naomi with a nice note that said the producer's are very excited to see you read for this role. So uh, I felt like I had I felt like I had an in, you know. <laughs> Absolutely, that's great. Um so it's the, a lot of the questions we've got we're pulling from social media, so our Instagram and Facebook and Twitter followers, we thank them for participating in this because without them we wouldn't be doing much. Um so a lot of them wanted to know about the inspiration for Naomi Putnam and the emotions of playing her. So I'm going to what I'm going to do here is so the first one here is from Morgan Olympia Baldwin. Three names, that's fantastic. Morgan Morgan Olympia Baldwin on Facebook. Hi, Morgan she, Olympia Baldwin. <laughs> there you go. A shout out from Ever Carradine. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, she wants to know when you were uh, bringing Miss Putnam to life, what inspired you? Any any real life experiences or people that were in your life that you are bringing to this portrayal of this character? Maybe a little, 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 some colors from so, a few people in my life, but like mostly, I just look at Naomi as she's. I mean, she's just so uptight and rigid, but I feel like the kind of like the root of all of that is that she is angry and a little afraid. Do you know what I mean? And that's sort of her, her driving force of trying to get through those things or pretend that she's not. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like we can all relate to that sometimes, right? Absolutely. Being a little angry, a little afraid. 
a desperate need to be in control. And like in Gilead, Gilead is control, not the people. Do you know what I mean? Like we are all being controlled. Yes. The next question comes from three people. Carlos Ayala on Facebook, Katie Wood on Facebook, and Susan Andrews on Twitter. Uh, their collective question was kind of how did it how does it affect you personally and emotionally playing a character like Naomi who is so rigid and most people on this thread were saying unlikable and you know, tough to be around and how do you separate those emotions on and off set? Well, I think that I, I, I have had some days shooting this show where then I go back to my hotel room and have a nice heavy pour of a great glass of red wine because it is sort of a hard they're they're hard days to shake um I think I was most affected in the first season kind of doing those the birthing scenes and then the scene where Janine has the baby and then I take the baby Mm -hmm. as a mother that sort of shattered me and you can't feel it in the moment you can't even really because you can't you don't want to go into it judging your character or judging the circumstances but once I would get back to my hotel room there was certainly some judgment and I think the way it was easier for me to deal with is that the show shoots on location in Canada so I didn't have to shoot and then come home and parent my children I could do my day at work and then go back to my hotel room and unwind however I wanted to without, um, you know, a three-year-old and an eight-year-old calling me mom. <laughs> <laughs> that would, that would make it definitely a lot tougher. You know, it does. It makes it, it makes it, that's, that's one thing that's really helpful for me on that show. Cause I also fly in and out to shoot. I don't live in Canada the whole season. So, um, it's nice to just get there and buckle down and get to work and try so that, to put on Naomi shoes. <laughs> that separation definitely yeah. would, would help yeah. there. Um, yeah. the, the last question about the inspiration of Naomi Putnam is um, what was the most emotional scene to shoot for you? And I think you just answered that. And that was from our uh, Handmaid's Tale underscore fan on Instagram. And I think you just answered that for us. And that was that scene, which I've described as one of, I read the book and even seeing that second episode where, with the birthing, I was like uh, watching it going, what is happening right now? It was I one know. of the more bizarre presentations of that what was going on uh it was just phenomenal and the way they it did it crazy. it was and so the emotional hair and i don't know if you could tell but like it was in the script it was in the original script that offered sees looks down and sees naomi is wearing fuzzy blue slippers <laughs> and i just was like oh my god i feel like i'm gonna throw up this is so wrong this is just so wrong that is amazing uh, so any other scenes that you can recall that really struck you emotionally? You know, the bridge scene was really emotional, um, where Janine takes baby Angela, who she calls Charlotte, and you think she's going to jump into the water with her. The, that We shot that over two days, and one of those days was the last day of Obama's presidency, and oh, the next gosh. day was the first day of Trump's. So that also, I think, heightened things a little bit. And, wow. You know, it's emotional. It was cold, so you're feeling it through your senses, and... Madeline Brewer is so good, so so good in that episode. Yeah, that was a phenomenal, gut wrenching, gut wrenching. That was scene. a gut wrencher. It was really, and we shot it basically in order, so you could sort of feel everything in in real time. Oh, that's interesting because I, I don't. That's not how you usually shoot things, correct? That is not your normal shooting schedule, really. Yeah, a lot of times you'll jump around or you shoot the end at the beginning or the beginning at the end or exteriors later or whatever, but that just so happened. I think we shot one direction one day and then the other direction the other day. But, um, yeah, you were able to just sort of plot out. It was The whole story was told in one day. Wow. And talk about a little bit about your relationship with Madeline Brewer. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't see as much of her this season as I did last, but we do have a nice episode coming up where our paths cross a few times, and I just think she's extraordinary. I think she's she's amazing. She's so good. I love just sort of watching her. It's sad for me that Naomi doesn't like her at all because I would love to show show her a little kindness, you know. (laughs) Absolutely, she deserves a little kindness for sure. I know, right? You know, this show is it's long days and. She's wearing an eye patch for like 15 hours. That's really hard. Absolutely. Really no, it, it, she posted a picture, I think, the other day of like the process or part of the process of putting the eye it, on. It's amazing. And the best thing is the minute she wraps, she's now sort of figured out how to get it off on her own, get the <laughs> eye patch off on her own. And I swear to you, once the eye patch is off her, she's like Janine is gone and she's all Maddie. Uh, <laughs> jumping around and on her phone and in her normal clothes. But like it just it, it's like it transforms her to take it off. It's amazing. Now, is it the same for you? Like once you get out of the, the blue dress, once I get out back, of clothes, back out of there. Yeah, I like for me, it's really when the bun comes out. There's something <laughs> about putting the bun in and taking the bun out that is a very transformative experience. So that's like the Putnam switch. That's the Naomi Putnam switch is the well, bun. Well, and Naomi always wears Corolla, who does our hair, is so such a genius. But Naomi's always got like such, it's such a peacock feather of a bun, you know. She's got a real bun happening back there every episode. Hilarious. So you transitioned right into uh, our next part of the question, which is everyone is very intrigued by Naomi's um, relationship with baby Charlotte slash Angela. And Angela. Her dis- and her- Angela, people. <laughs> baby Angela. <laughs> and her you know, general um, lack of embracing of motherhood, I guess. I don't think that Naomi has any maternal instincts at mm-hmm. all. Okay. And she has no softness about her. There's not a lot of joy coming off of her. And then, you know, I think also when you, before, for me, I'm a mother in real life, and before I had my kids, I had all these, like, expectations, and then you have the baby, and you have all these projections you put on the baby that you think that you're going to, like, cuddle at night and sleep together, and it's going to be so beautiful, and, like, it's really like screaming and teething and changing diapers and everybody's tired. So I think Naomi probably had some expectations and none of them, none of them were met. And then, you know, top that with like the baby's real mother, Janine was having an affair with her husband. So it's (laughs) all that. Do you know what I mean? Like Uh she's got to see Janine in that, in that baby. Absolutely. And that, that's an interesting point you make there. And that's one of the things we brought up, in one of the last couple episodes of the second season where uh, Offred is back in the house and Serena Joy is having a little trouble with her being there. And yeah. I thought it was very interesting that Serena, is it, how's it going to be when you're, the kid comes, it's theoretically, if she gets him, and you look at that child and you're like, all these things that you hate and dislike about the mother I just don't know how you separate that. And can you talk about that a little bit in portraying that with uh, Naomi? Well, I'm not sure that Naomi does separate it, (laughs) but I have more faith in Serena to be able to separate that. Do you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. Serena feels a real draw to be a mother, whereas my feeling about Naomi is having a baby was more of it's a little bit like Lady Naomi. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? was like a status symbol. It's not unlike the bun she wears or that she's always got a very high collar or, you know, it's like a prop. It's like a it's like, look what I have that you don't, you know? Absolutely. Uh, that makes perfect it's sense. so childish. I do think Naomi's very childish. That's uh, something that I try to k- k- 
get in there a little bit. Well, and I think you got that in very, uh, very excellently with the baby shower scene. Where it's like, oh God! I know. Do you want to hit her? Bring in, bring <laughs> in my toys. gift. It's the best. And I gift. have the biggest gift. Wheel it in. <laughs> Amazing. I know. Amazing. I know. That was my first episode back, second season. My uh. first day, and I was like, oh my God! Champagne in my hand. And I asked Kari, our director. I was like, can I play with the toy? Can I run around and play with the toy? She was like, absolutely. That is awesome. Yes, that was that entire scene was just like oh it was a gut punch wasn't right it? In, in a show yeah. full of gut punches it's like oh my god and she's got to yeah. sit there and watch it and yeah. it's just brutal and i was looking at i i was at thank goodness i was at lizzie's back so i didn't have to see her face looking at serena because i think i would have burst into tears oh, i wouldn't have blamed you is that yeah. hard is it hard like portraying a character like that that is doing these terrible things to other women in particular totally and i have this weird thing i've spoken about this before but like i have this this is the only job i've ever had where like i have when i'm there lizzie it's probably because lizzie is so good on the show but like i have a very hard time separating real from fake and i see elizabeth moss at work like and I'm all I can think me ever Carradine can think is like, how am I going to get her out of here? Like we have to get offered out of Gilead. Like it's like on a loop in my brain. And when I was coming back to work last year, I think it was after the golden globes, Lizzie and um, Nick, uh, Max Mangella were on my flight to Canada. And as we were getting off the plane, they were a few places, they were a few paces ahead of me and they were kind of like walking arm in arm. And I was like, they made it. Like, <laughs> like June and Nick are in Canada. There's a big welcome to Canada sign over their head. And I, I had like a real, they're free moment. That's really awesome. psychotic. I know. It's crazy. It's never happened to me before on a show. And it really, it's a, it's a legitimate problem. Uh, talk about that a little bit. Because we've interviewed a few people from the show. And that's kind of been the overarching, you know, sentiment is that this show is just different. And so talk about why that is, and at least for you, why that is, and then talk about your experiences with everyone else on the set and how it seems to be that... I mean, maybe it's just because when... Well, we've all read the book, and we all have read the scripts and watched the show, but, like, when you get there, it's so immersive. Like, you really feel like you're in a different place, like you're in Gilead, and you look around, and everybody is in these costumes. And, you know, weirdly, like between takes like the handmaids kind of stick together and the wives kind of sit together and it it all just feels so it's so it's immersive I don't know how else to explain it and everywhere you look on these sets it's like it's so beautiful and every we were shooting a scene a tea party scene and I was walking maybe I was trying to find the bathroom I can't even remember I was walking by a table that I don't even think made it in the shot and I looked down and all of the cookies and the little um like petty fours and stuff like that everything was turquoise I was like just the attention to detail everywhere you look even if it's not on camera it's 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 incredible I just don't I don't know how to explain it well let's talk about that a little bit but I'm glad to know that I'm not alone in like and it's not that I'm in awe of it, but it really, it is, it's just like nothing I've ever known. It's nothing I've ever seen. Well, and I will tell you that watching it, that was one of the things that struck me. It is, you know, shot differently than your standard, um, you know, show. Yeah, and that's Paul and the DP and Zoe, who they, they alternate episodes now. They're both so talented. They're so good. And just the, the production value, I always said the production value was just on par with and above literally anything I've seen on television. 
And yes. I think the way it's shot and the artisticness of it is just... Well, and Anne Crabtree, who does the wardrobe, she has created the uniform for a make-believe world. And it's so complete and so detailed and specific. And she's so smart. It's just that that's like the key ingredient to me is looking around and seeing everybody in these in these get ups. And that was my next. Uh, you're you're, tra- you're doing this. Perfectly. I'm like, it's, really? It's like it's I like got like the you, question first, right? It, it's almost like you've had an interview before and you know exactly Weird. Where going. It's crazy. And I will say you don't have the outline in front of you because I did not. I know it. I'm just which is laying here. Awesome. So that was my next thing. Like uh, my co-host Tiana and I had the fortune to go to the SCAD Fash Museum um, exhibit oh. opening. So we were there. Yeah. Did we not meet? We did not meet. Um, it was a little, oh, as, you, as you recall, it was a little crazy that night. There yes, was a lot was. of people doing a lot of things. And so we were there yeah. and uh, we were, you know, behind the velvet rope, which was bizarre for us who are just these, you know, fans who started this podcast a year and a half ago. And Oh, I love that you guys got to see it. Wasn't it amazing? It was a great experience. And the, yeah. the exhibit is absolutely phenomenal in the way she yeah, did it. Yeah, I found it so emotional. And we got, we've interviewed Anne twice and done one other we did a costume contest last halloween that we had at her judge and so oh my god i we, love it isn't she great she is amazing like she yeah i've told people all this the whole time she's the first person we ever interviewed from the show uh-huh. and it has ruined interviews for me not not, not saying anything against you but she is no, ridiculously know. good at I, just being open and honest and we'll talk about anything but that's why her work is so good because she's like a vessel. She's just like open to it all. In such I, the the way I describe her to friends, I'm like it's as close as I've ever been to a real artist. Right. And I've been around a lot of very artistic, intelligent, incredible people. But well, Anne sure. Crabtree, there's something about her. She just has magic, little fairy dust. She. The last time we interviewed her was at the beginning of the month before. It was the beginning of April, so before the uh, museum exhibit opened. Uh-huh. And we were talking to her about it, and she started talking about uh, just the the art. Basically, it was an artist talking about their art in just this yeah. way that was amazing to the point where when she ended her like thing that she was saying, we all sat there for about five seconds, and we were just like, wow. I know. She's literally the only person, you know, I was um, shooting another show in L.A., Marvel's Runaways, and we wrapped um, – by the way, big fan of the Runaways in this house. My oh, daughter, good. my daughter is a huge uh, Marvel comic book person. And oh, I love it! Love so it. good, I love, love hearing that. But we literally wrapped our last um, episode. I think it's six o'clock in the morning on like I don't know a Tuesday, and Anne needed me for a fitting on maybe Wednesday. So I got on a flight at one p.m. the same day that we wrapped, and I was like, Anne Crabtree is quite literally the only person on earth that I would happily do that for without any hesitation. And, it, and again, you you said it. It shows in her work and seeing all that up close and being able yeah. to really see the detail is I just know. absolutely striking. And that was a great night, and we had a lot of fun being there. So it was a my, my last dress. The last dress I wear this season um, has kind of like a high neck. If you can't see it, it's stitching. I don't know that it'll translate on screen. But um, it was like a, a round stitching around the neck and then lines that came out of it that looked like darting, but there were many more of them. And I was like, Anne, I love this detail at the neck. And she said, that's you. That's your California sunshine. Oh. And when you looked at it like that, it was like a drawing of a sun with the rays coming out of it. Oh, my gosh. It's, it's I know. Crazy. I know. I was like, don't cry. Uh. Don't cry. <laughs> Um, so we got a question here from a uh, Twitter user, Sam Yoda Bronchi, which is a great name. Uh, yeah, it, my son's name is Sam. There you great. go. In the, mm-hmm. in the mass wedding scene, which 
again, in a show full of gut-punching scenes, that was one of the ones that we were like, oh my god, this is really happening. Um, We see you wearing a different colored dress from the other wives, and there's been a number of theories as to why that is. Do you have an official uh, Handmaid's Tale explanation for that? I I do. I have it right from Anne Crabtree's mouth. Do you want it? Mm -hmm. And it's so great. I didn't want to give it away on Instagram before everybody saw the episode, but I didn't even put it together when she said what she wanted me to look like until after I watched the episode in real time, which is that she wanted Naomi to look like a Tiffany box. Oh, all right. And you just think iconically a Tiffany box is a wedding ring. Uh-huh. And that's what Naomi chose to wear, and I just was like, oh, it's so gross. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting because there was a lot of like practical explanations like she had a baby so now she wears a different color. Right. No, it was just that she and wanted her to look like a Tiffany box. That's and you know, I think in the world of Gilead it's I, I don't know that they ever talk about it, but the, I know that you know they they're making all their own clothes out of sometimes fat maybe fabric that they that they have. So as long as it's in the turquoise blue family, it's, mm-hmm. it's legal. Interesting. And that was yeah. one of the things she talked about at the presentation yeah. where yeah that was yeah. very interesting i think people would love to know that it's almost like they gave the costumes a backstory which is hilarious yeah. to me i mean not yeah. hilarious but it, it like gives you a again as an actor i would imagine gives you that much more of a frame of reference to go on when you're wearing these clothes and, and Anne has an explanation for every bit of the wardrobe there are no accidents there's nothing there just to be pretty it's all very it's all very specific all right. everything has every question has an answer that's absolutely true uh, Norman yeah. Lieber, our Facebook friend, uh, says mm-hmm. off stage, do the cast members in the costumes tend to congregate only with the ones that were wear, wearing similarly colored outfits? And you, I think you just alluded to that. So is that a natural thing? Has it always been like that? Or did it just kind of evolve that way? I don't know. I've just sort of noticed it. And I've been, you know, going through pictures to post, um, like post different Instagram stuff from behind the scenes now that the shows are airing. And I can kind of see it in the background of my pictures. So interesting. And so, do, do people, when they're on set, and I know some people tend to take on their roles a little more than others as far as like not wanting to come out of character, uh, do you find not that on, as well? No. On the, on the set? no, everybody's <laughs> no. like, get me out of this. No, I, I don't. I think that, well, so I think everyone's been doing this a while. And no, I, I don't find that people need to stay in it off stage at all. We're mm-hmm. always telling stories. I think Yvonne really likes Vanderpump Rules. I think she watches that a little between <laughs> takes. Like, we all have our methods to, uh, yeah. Uh, the last question on the costumes is from Virginie Florentine and Katie Wood. Uh, they want to know if you are, one, fed up with the color blue and are never going to wear it again offset, and if the costumes are itchy. Um, the costumes are not itchy, and the one time I felt that the sleeves were and lined them for me... <laughs> And, no, I love turquoise. Ironically, my house is, there's a lot of turquoise and red in my house. And something that happened to me first season, and it happened a bit this year, too, is I kept noticing in life the colors red and turquoise kept showing up. Like, when I was out and about, or just, I would put my shoes down, and I noticed they were red shoes next to turquoise shoes. I don't know how to explain it, just, but the color combo kept showing up. And then it stopped, like, literally the day that we wrapped And then this year it started again. And the first time I noticed it, I was driving down the street and there was, I saw a bright turquoise Porsche parked on the side of the road, which you never see. And then I looked in front of it and there was a red Porsche. And I was like, this is weird, but I was driving. So I couldn't take a picture, but yeah, so it sort of happened. It's happened again. 
Oh and someone God. said, I don't know who said it. They were like, oh, that happens when you're like, when you're in sync, when you're doing what you should be doing. Wow. So I like that explanation. I, that's amazing. That's funny yeah. how life works like that. So, I know. So what can we expect from the rest of the season? Because tonight will be the uh, sixth episode will be airing. And mm-hmm. there's some interesting things that happen in this episode. I won't reveal, even though we'll probably have, have already. Have seen it? I, I have seen it. We get screeners. So we have uh, through episode six. And through, oh, actually wow. through episode seven at this point, but I have not watched seven yet. Um, Can you? I can't watch more than one a night. I love that Hulu releases them one week at a time. I do too, and it's interesting to see the. It's kind of a divider of people, you know. Yeah, I know. And I'm, same with Runaways. People are like, "Why don't you just dump them all?" I'm like, "Just take take a week. Just take a week, and you watch it again." I agree, and in my opinion, it makes the show. And I say this all the time. This is my general response: is it makes it less disposable. Um, yeah. It keeps it in the conversation, which I know is a calculated effort on Hulu's part, which I think is fantastic because uh, not all of the you know streaming providers see it that way. And I yeah. think that Hulu taking that approach for this show definitely keeps it out in front. And I think it's also a show that lends itself to a bigger conversation socially. And yeah. so having that be part of the show and letting that kind of linger on from week to week to week, as opposed to just throwing it all out there at once and then people moving on to the next thing, I think is a brilliant thing. Yeah, no, I do too. And like some of the episodes, it's not a terrible idea to watch them twice. You know what I mean? There's a lot that happens and uh, I don't know. I, I love the week off. I, I can't imagine trying to binge this show. I can't either, and that is one of the things that is amazing to me is the people that just watch this show straight through, and I'm like, oh my god, that's heavy. No. That's a heavy binge. No, no, we watch this, and then we we need like a palate cleanser afterwards. Oh man, it's crazy. Uh, that was I another know. question someone had, and that was about you know when you're watching it, do you is it different from how you feel filming it? Do you ever get that impression of oh, really? this is different than how I would imagine it was going to come out? It always looks so much more incredible than I could have ever imagined. And the, this season, episode two, just, I was watching with my husband and literally, I mean, and I've read them all and know what's going to happen. And I literally, the airport scene, oh. I, I, I erupted, I burst into tears. I couldn't, like, I just, it just it was like someone pushed a start weeping now button and I just <laughs> immediately burst into tears. I like couldn't take it. Yeah, it's honestly, it's like two different, it's like two different experiences. Filming it is one, and then seeing it is so, I mean, being there is transformative, but then watching the show, I don't ever think I'm watching Lizzie and Yvonne, like, I feel like I'm watching Offred and Serena Joy. I'm completely, I'm complete, I'm all in on this thing. That's fantastic. Well, you, yeah. you do a fantastic job. And the job. colonies, I just, oh. the colonies, too. Oh my gosh, so much stuff. It was, much it's, it, stuff. The show has just done some amazing things, and I think it's, yeah. it's doing some great stuff this season as we get to explore more of the characters yeah. and, you know, other things that are happening in Gilead. You know, last year kind of laid the foundation of, hey, guess That's how horrible exactly this what is. exactly I said. Like, the first year they were like, these are the rules, this is Gilead, and the second year they were like, okay, let's go. Yep, and, uh, get into it. I, I hope third season we get to see an Aunt Lydia backstory. Oh man, how great! Don't would you that just be? want to see Aunt Lydia in like sneakers? <laughs> that would be amazing. Uh, so, my, my one of the last questions we got um, is from our Instagram friend uh, A Moosels. I don't know what that means. Hi. And oh. um, his question was: Is she for or against her nickname on our podcast, Lady Putnam? Oh my God. Four Lady Putnam, all four, <laughs> loving it. That's 
awesome. Lady Putnam. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, I'm going to start hashtagging all my Instagram. Hashtag Lady, Lady Putnam. Putnam. That would be yep. fantastic. And so what else can we expect from a Lady Putnam the rest of the second Lady season? Putnam. What can you give I us? I know you can't give us much. a little more of Lady Putnam humanity mm. you know i think the way to describe it is that this season it's i don't want to give anything away that's why i sound weird but like i know that everyone bruce and lizzie and warren have talked about that the kind of overwhelming theme of season two is motherhood so i think that they go a little bit deeper in maybe motherhood and naomi so my last question mm-hmm. is with mr putnam miss oh you have to have him on too you have to you have to talk to steve Show me. okay i'll get him that would be yeah. awesome. I will uh, contact our contacts and we'll get that. Contact get that the wrong. people. When you read the script and <laughs> you learned that uh, Lady Putnam was going to have his hand removed, uh, how did you feel about that as a power play in a you know society in which the vast majority of women don't seemingly have one or leverage over the men and her really you know embracing that to its fullest extent? How did that make you feel? Well, the interesting bit is the first uh, draft of that script, episode 13, or episode 10, right? Because we only yeah. did 10 mm-hmm. the first year. Episode 10, uh, there was actually a scene between Commander Waterford and Naomi Putnam, Lady Putnam, where she pleads for them to be kind to him before the big the big um, like courtroom scene where they decide what they're going to do to him and where he pleads his case. So in the first draft of the script, she didn't ask for the harshest punishment. She actually asked for leniency. And then I got a call and they were like, actually, Ever, we don't need you to come to Toronto. <laughs> and I got the updated pages and I was like, oh my God, she asked for his hand to get cut off. She doesn't plead for them to keep it. So... And how did you feel about that? Did you feel that that was not that you would? I mean, so the writers do a great job. I mean, like selfishly as an actress, I would have loved to have had. I had a really nice scene with Joe that they cut. But as far as story, I thought it was so smart and really added like just another level of dis- dysfunction and dimension to the Mister and Mrs. Putnam. That's for sure, and I do I do think it added a nice layer of the women in this society don't really have an opportunity very often to yeah. kind of have one up on the men and that she kind yep. of took it that way and was like, okay. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and like, that's where too, you have to just like take ego and your actressy stuff out of it and just know that these writers are so smart and they're really, they just take the ride. They know what they're doing. Yeah. And I agree. I think that those add a nice layer to her as a character coming into yeah. the next season where you're like, she's hardcore. She's not messing around. Imagine and so you should not mess with Lady Putnam. Alone. Can you imagine Mr. and Mrs. Putnam, like, hanging out? Oh, no. Oh, God. No. <laughs> I know. And the funny part is, like, Steve and I, Stephen Kunkin, who plays Mr. Putnam, we get along really well. We have dinner every night after we work together. It's it's pretty funny. That's awesome. Well, thank you for joining us, Ever. And, of course. Uh, Thanks we, for having me. Absolutely. And I appreciate you embracing the Lady Putnam uh, nickname, whether you use I'm it for in. the rest of your life or not. Um, I'm all in. And it was an honor to finally get to talk to you, and it's been fantastic. All right, have an awesome day. Thank you so much, Dustin. Thank you very much. bye.